Okay, ever done something that you regret? Like wearing shorts when you stand up to preach. Have you ever done something so bad that you get like the sick feeling in your stomach? Maybe a feeling of anxiety or guilt, wondering if things will ever be the same again. See, that's where Israel are at this present moment in time where we, where we catch up with them in this story. They're in a state of, of mourning and despair. You see, they have messed up big time. Israel were a nation of slaves, and they've been freed from slavery by Yahweh. And God, he was leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. And he provided everything that they needed, water from the rock and bread from heaven. Yet when God was speaking to their leader Moses up a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, the people rebelled. They made a, a, and worshipped a, a metal calf. And God in his anger at it tells them through Moses that he's not going to go with them. He says, you can, you can go to the promised land. You can have the blessings, but it will be without me as I'm a holy God. And you guys, you're the sinful people and I will consume you. And where we reached it, it looked like it's, it's kind of the end of the road for Israel. And the Bible story as we know it is circling back around again and again and again. Humanity's sin separates humanity from our good, perfect creator God. And so the question that seems to be shouting up from the pages of Exodus is how is God going to deal with this problem of sin? What's clear from this story is God cannot be with humanity while humanity sins. And humanity can't stop sinning. It's a problem for all of humanity. I was listening to a, a podcast this, this week from um, it's like a, a guy called Jordan Peterson and a Christian guy. So you've got a non-Christian with a Christian guy talking about problem of good and evil and how it's kind of manifested throughout history. And this is what, what one of them said. They said, the line between good and evil lies not in political parties, not in nations, oppressors, or the oppressed, but it goes straight into the human heart. See, folks, this is a fundamental truth that all of us realize, that all of us live in. And it's a, it's a, it lies at the, pro, at the heart of the problem that we experience as humanity. The problem is the sin that lies within every one of us. And what is the answer to the problem of human sin. And today's passage, I think, shows us really clearly. So let me pray, and then we'll make our way through it. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak and breathe life into our souls. Thank you that we can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we worship you. And we ask this morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our hearts to see you, to experience you, to behold the wonderful and beautiful face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need your help. Amen. Exodus 33 will be on the screen, but it would be good if you could have it in front of you. It's a, it's a big passage. We'll be making our way through parts of it. So Exodus, verse, Exodus 33, verse 7 to 17, I'll read it for us. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his door at his tent door, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. 
When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So the first thing that we're going to see here is a glimmer of hope. Because the people have sinned, and they've seen that God angry at sin. They, they've heard that God isn't going to go with them. But a glimmer of hope remains, and that glimmer of hope is God's man. It's God's man. See, the camp where God's people are living, it's, it's at the base of the mountain. And outside the camp, it seems quite far away from what we read here, Moses set up what's called a tent of meeting. And the tent is where Moses would meet with God. It seems that others would go out with him, but only Moses went in. And what happened is Moses would go outside the camp because the tabernacle that we'd heard instructions for just before, and we're going to hear a bit more of next week, it isn't made yet. So the, the sacrificial system is not set up. And the, the people, as we heard last week, they've sinned. So God can't be amongst them. There's got to be a payment for sin, a punishment for sin, a consequence of sin. And what we see and read here is that the Moses, he would make his way to the tent and he would go through the camp. And you've got this really dramatic scene that as Moses would walk through the camp, all the people would rise as he walked past their tents. All their eyes on this one man as he walks to meet with God. And God in his grace, he descends. And he descends in the form of a cloud to the entrance of the tent. And so what we see is there is a cloud there that is blocking the way into the very presence of God, but it's also showing people that God is with Moses. There's a, a dual thing going on there. There's an assurance. And the people in the camp, they would all worship. Each at the door of the tent, they would pray, they would sing, they would humble themselves. And inside the tent, Moses would be talking with God. That's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Moses is talking with God really. It says face to face. Okay, folks, let me explain that. That's actually a figure of speech. A bit later on in verse 20, it says, the man can't see God and live. So what's being referred to here is that the Moses and God, there was a direct communication. Moses had a, a degree of intimacy and fellowship with God. They, they talked as friends talk, the level that was only really seen before in the garden. And so there is a glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope is there is a man in the place of God talking with God. And 12 to 17, as you make your way through it, it gives us details of the conversation. Moses, he's, he's interceding. That means he's pleading. 
He's pleading on behalf of the people in the camp to God. He's reminding God. He's saying, look, if I'm your man, if I'm the leader, your leader that's found favor, listen, please, remember, these are your people. And Moses, he wants to know. He's like, look, are you going with us? He's desperate for that assurance. And God assures him. And the assurance is rooted in God's favor on Moses, on that one man. He says, I will go with you and give you rest. But Moses, he continues to plead for the people. He's like, please do. We're nothing without you. Your presence is what makes us your people. God reassures him. I will come because you have found favor. I know you. God isn't a, a moody dictator doing things on a whim. No, God is showing Israel and us how he is working out the, the fullness, the structure of his plan of salvation to save his people from sin. There is a glimmer of hope. There is a man in the place of God interceding for the people. And then we see a source of hope in section, this is in chapter 33, verse 18 to 34. And I will take it in, in section. So verse 18 will take, first of all, down to 23. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So we get some of the insides of this conversation again. We're allowed to glimpse here behind the curtain. And Moses, is, he wants to know and see more of God. He's saying, show me more. God replies, well, I will but not the way that you think. It will be my will who I display mercy and grace to. to. You will not be able to see my face as the, the essence of who he is, the essence of his character, the essence of his nature. And he says, basically what he says, because you'll die. If I reveal the fullness of my glory, you will die. Just let that sink in for a second, folks. It's so important for God's people to remember in relation to God, who and what God is. I think we can forget this. See, Israel, they had last week reduced the concept of God to a metal calf. Something they could control and manipulate. We do it. Our culture does it, doesn't it? It reduces God almost to a, an impotent, inconsequential being to be ridiculed and mocked. Or to be used on a whim, maybe when we want something. When we want to get control of something. To manipulate God in a certain way, maybe when life goes bad. But God is God. He's all-powerful. He's self-sufficient. He is ultimate. He is absolute. He is perfect and pure. Moses is a finite, fallen human being. He is impure and he is sinful. He would be destroyed by the fullness of God's presence. But God in his grace says this, I will let you see me, but within limits. And God, what he does, it's really loving and gracious for us to read the, the way that he does this because he uses the language of human body parts in a way that we can understand to express his invisible majesty. God's face is the, the essence of the divine being. But God's back from this, it seems to be 
He's describing something different. It's a different experience of God's glory. It seems to be limited and protected almost. One of the commentators on this, uh, Philip Ryken uses this word. He says it's like the contrails, the, you know, the vapor trails, the, the clouds that follow the airplanes. He says the back of God is the luminous clouds, the trail from his being. And Moses, he is in the, the cleft of the rock and God covers him with his hand. I mean, this is brilliant. Just think about what's being, what's being said here. Moses was protected from God by God. The only, the only person, thing, being that can protect Moses from God is God himself. And God in his grace and his mercy allows humanity to know him without being destroyed. It is God who decides how we know him, how we come to him. And in 34, 1 to 9, we describe what happened. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So Moses goes up alone. Not even animals are allowed near God's holy presence here. And he takes up the two tablets of stone, which he's going to write the Ten Commandments on. And we read that God descends. He, he proclaims his name, Yahweh, the covenant God. And he's protecting Moses in the midst of this while allowing himself to be seen in the right way that he allows himself to be seen. And what's really interesting is that God reveals his nature in how he acts towards his people with this set of characteristics that they experience. So what does he say? Well, he says he's merciful. What does that mean? Well, he's sympathetic to people. He cares about people. He cares about situations that people in, are in. God is sympathetic with our weaknesses and our situations. He is gracious. Gracious, what does that mean? Well, gracious means that he shows undeserved favor. Folks, if God gave us what we deserve, I think it's clear from this passage, if God gave us what we deserve, we would all die because of our sin. All of us. God gives us what we don't deserve. God gives us life. Salvation is based on the God's grace and mercy alone. But we read that also God is slow to anger. God is reluctant in a way to act against his creation. He is long-suffering. He bears so much. There is a burden element to this character trait that he takes things on himself. But don't miss also what's being said. He does get angry. He does get angry. He's not volatile. 
but he is deliberate and directional against sin in his anger. But he's also abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That means his love is towards his people who he has set his affection on. God always acts from his love towards his people. He never goes back on his promises. His love is infinite. It's limitless. And God is a forgiving God. Do you see how all these characters are how God moves and acts towards us and his people? Times, three times it's mentioned, this forgiveness. He forgives iniquity. That's the, the, the posture of turning from good to bad constantly. He forgives transgressions. That is a, a willful disobedience of God's law, stepping over that line. There is a forgiveness of sin. That's a, a forgiveness of sin. That's a general term for, for moral failure. The point here is that God forgives all types of sin. And God is a just God. You can't take that characteristic out and leave it. God is a just God. Sin will be punished. God will deal with e evil. He's not just going to ignore evil. He's not just going to ignore sin. There will be justice. This world has a purpose and a meaning. Without that, there is none. And there is a warning, I believe, to fathers here. You see, here in this day, there would have been a, a culture where three to four generations lived under a father's roof. And he is saying, lead your family well under God. Lead your family well. So the question then, we've had a glimmer of hope, but what is the source of hope? The source of hope is God. The source of hope is God, only God. God's character, God's mercy, God's grace, God's faithfulness to his promises. God is the only source of hope. God is going to bear the sin. God is going to show mercy to his people because he loves them. There will be no glimmer of hope for the man in God's presence if God were not merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, if he was not a God who forgave sin. The only source of hope, folks, is God. And Moses, how does he respond? Gives the right response, the only response, he worships, he submits, he's humble, and then he pleads again for God's presence. In light of that mercy, in light of that forgiveness, in light of his faithfulness, he pleads. And Moses in verse 9, which I think is a powerful verse too, in one sense he's bearing the people's sin with him. He says, pardon our sin. Pardon our sin. And then, which we won't read together. Let me summarize for us in verse 10 down to 26. We see God's grace displayed in how he renews the covenant. You see, don't, don't forget what's gone here, on here in the context of what's gone on. The golden calf has just happened. That's the situation. And God is speaking into this situation. And what he does, he selects certain parts of the covenant, the, the covenant that he's already given them to help them not sin that way again. That's what he's doing. So what he does, he selects aspects to really help them. He highlights for them. He's basically drawing a circle. He's going over with a highlighter. He's underlined and he's putting in bold. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't worship other gods. It's really bad for you. Protect yourselves from the idols of the nation, from the people who might come in and take you away from loving and worshiping me. Don't make a metal image. Couldn't be clearer. He's saying, don't do that. But he also tells them what to do. He doesn't just say, stop doing that. He says, no, do this. This will help foster your love and affection and desire for me. Keep these feasts, unleavened bread, Passover, weeks, in-gathering, all these feasts that reminded them of God's provision, of God's work on their behalf, of, of who they were in light of God. He says, keep the Sabbath every week. 
together. Get to know your Father together as you worship as a family. Trust in, trust in me, praising me, worshiping me, resting with me. God gives them a rhythm together to help them stay faithful and to flourish as God's people. Folks, as, after what they've done, this is amazing grace from God. We can't deny that. Amazing grace. And finally, what we get is an assurance of hope. Verse 27. Down to 35. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the word, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Okay, so we get this assurance of hope here. God, he's restated the covenant. And Moses, sustained by God, without food, 40 days, 40 nights, eventually comes down the mountain. And he's been up with God, in God's presence. And what happens is his face is shining. The words that, that, that he says, it says the skin of his face sent out horns. That's the actual language to get the picture of it. So it wasn't just luminous as you looked at it, but it was actually sending out rays of light in such a way that people were scared. They wouldn't go near him. Even his older brother Aaron was like, no, not go near him. But Moses, he calls Aaron and the leaders, he speaks to them and he gives them instructions. And then he gathers all the people and Moses speaks to them God's words. He tells them what God said, all of the instructions. And after finishing speaking, he then covers his face with a veil for the people. And this cycle continues. So Moses, he would go in to speak with God with no veil. He would hear from God. He would speak with God. He would be in the presence of God. And then he would come back out with no veil and he would relay the commands and speak the instructions of God, speak the words of God, and the people would see his shining face. And then he would stop speaking, cover himself. It seems like it would fade and he would go back in again the next time. So what's all that about? Why is Moses' face shining? So on one level, Moses was in the presence of God. That's the obvious answer here. There's a beauty and a holiness coming from God. And Moses was, was transformed, transfigured almost by the presence of God. But I think there was also a purpose that we need to see here for God's people. And it was displaying God's grace. See, God was showing the people that Moses was his man. Moses was the man that he was going to speak through. Remember the context, they'd rejected his leadership. They turned from God and from Moses. And it's as if God is saying, this is my chosen man, listen to him. We hear echoes of this, I think, reverberating around God's word. 
And God puts his stamp on the authority of Moses for the people. And the people are scared. Why? You would be, wouldn't you? If I was stood here with rays shooting from my face, you'd be like, what's going on? Maybe I am because of the sunburn. I don't know. But this, I think, is a clear reminder of what they've done. This is a clear reminder of their sin. There is a clear reminder here of the context of their rejection of God and the fact that they can't, in light of the law, make themselves right before God and they keep sinning. And this display of God's holiness and majestic power through Moses strikes fear into them. You see, God shows us through this chapter how he is going to dwell with his people But to do it, he has to first deal with the issue that sits at the heart of this separation, and that is sin. And we see here, as we read this this text, that he's going to do it through a mediator and an intercessor. You see, Moses' role through all of this helps us to understand Jesus Christ, how he intercedes, how he mediates for us. So if I can just ask you to picture for a second Moses an extra. He's an extra who stands in for a movie star during, during filming. If you imagine that the stage is all, all prepared and the, the lights are getting adjusted, the, the, the furniture and the things on the stage are getting shifted around and the extra will stand exactly where the star stand, stands so that when the film starts and the star finally appears on the stage, everything is just right. And so while everything is getting ready and being made ready, you have some idea of what it looks like, but not the full picture. Not the full story, because the star is waiting backstage to step in at the right time so that the scene can be played out properly. And we see that as Jesus steps out, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is a a better Moses. Back in chapter 2, 32, that we looked at briefly last week, Moses actually offers to take the place of Israel, but it doesn't happen. Just throw that up for us, please, Mel. Thank you. So on that, he actually offers, he says, but now if you forgive their sin, but if not, please block me out of your book that you have written. There is something within Moses that is kind of stepping in this way. He offers to take the place on one level, but it can't happen. You see, Moses can't be the sacrifice in the place of the people. Why? Because he himself is sinful. He acknowledges his sin here and across this whole chapter. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he was perfect in every way. Jesus didn't sin. No iniquity, no transgression, no sin or moral failure at all. The Son of God became human. He walked, he talked, he related for decades with no sin. He is the only human being who could walk into the very presence of the Father in perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, perfect innocence, and not die. But the Bible tells us that even though he didn't sin, he took on our sin. He bore our sin. We have to remember God's character. We can't just take it apart. Remember that God is a just God. He can't just clear the guilty without dealing with sin. And the amazing truth is that Jesus took our sin in our place, took our punishment, exchanged himself. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Stands between us and God in that way. He bears the sins of us, his people. He stands between us and the wrath of God and takes that wrath for us. You see, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we die in that way in God's presence. But with Jesus Christ, we can come into God's presence. 
safely, boldly, because of the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. See, as we look back across Exodus 34, we can actually see God's character being displayed out of Exodus 34, all through the Gospels in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mercy of God personified. He is the grace of God personified. He is the love of God manifested. He is the faithfulness, the forgiveness, the justification of God. All of this personified in the flesh. Remember that we know God. That's how, how God revealed himself to Moses in how he acts on behalf of his people. You want to know God? Well, you know God in how he acts on behalf of his people. We look to Christ. That act, that movement of God in love is Jesus. That's how we know God. That's the only way that we can know God. And folks, it's even, even more concrete than that in the sense of everything in the Bible comes together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. You want to understand your Bible? It's all about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center point. He's the focus. He's the goal. He's the star of the show. Jesus Christ is the presence of God amongst his people. He is Emmanuel, the prophets call him. God with us. Read that Jesus was crucified outside the camp. Why? So that God's people could be in with God. Jesus is the Sabbath rest for God's people. Jesus Christ is God's man. Remember the story of the transfiguration in the Gospels with the disciples. They go up on the mountain, don't they, with Moses and with Elijah. And there's a great light. And what is the voice that is heard? It is the Father's voice about the Son that says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Do you see what's being shown here? This is my man. This is the way. This is my son. The focus is Jesus. I mean, we look to Moses. He reflects God's glory after being with God. He reflects God's glory like, like the moon reflects the sun. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the sun. Glory, the majesty, the goodness of God radiate out from his very being because he is God. Moses, what did he do? He asked to see the glory of God, but he had to be protected by God from God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us this, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God Moses needs protecting from. Folks, as believers in Christ, we can see without fear in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege. And as we close, I just want us to really take this and not leave it up here or over here, but actually bring it right down. And the first thing I want to encourage us to do is to see that we get to behold God. We get to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, our only hope lies in God's character. He is God's mercy and grace. And can I just extend that out? If you don't know him here today, there is an offer that reaches out towards you. And that offer is to see God's mercy. You cannot get right with God by anything that you can do, by anything that you can bring. God will not clear the guilty. And you know, like I know, that you've sinned. I don't have to look far in my life to see the sin and the stains of sin. God will not clear the guilty. But God has made a way for the guilty to be with him. Praise God. God has made a way for guilty people to be with him. 
That way is Jesus Christ. He's the only way to be protected from God by God. We can't go into, come into God's presence without God's help. And God has told us what that help is. It is the sending of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept or not, that is real. I beg of you that you would look to Him today and come to Him. And folks, for those that do know Him, let me just read this that Paul writes to a church in Greece, in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 3. For when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see the language there? Do you see what Paul is drawing out? Christian, you're free. With the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Folks, the Holy Spirit is here. If you are a believer, He lives within you. You are free. Do not believe the lie of the devil. Do not believe the lie that you tell yourself. You are free in Christ. It's gone. Your guilt is gone. Your shame is gone. You're free. We are a free people. And Christian, you are being transformed. As you behold God's glory with what? An unveiled face. We don't have to come through anything. We go through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see God. We behold the face of God. You're being transformed. You are being made to look like the Lord Jesus Christ and be transformed into His image every single moment. You want to grow in your faith? You want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Know what you need to do? Stop the doing for a second and look to Him. Behold Him, come to Him, ask for help by His Spirit to see Him, to know Him, to behold Him. Spend time with Him. Folk, that's the first turn, the first turn that we should always make as believers. If you're struggling here today for, with doubt or with guilt or with sin or with struggle or with wrestle, can I encourage you? There's something within you that's going to want to start doing stuff or fixing stuff or making things right in the wrong way. There's going to be something within you that's going to build up those layers of insecurity or pride or build up those layers of false truth that you tell yourself, can I encourage you for a second right now, dismiss that and turn to Christ. See his face, see his forgiveness, see his mercy, see his abounding love, see his faithfulness. For every one look, the Puritans would say, at yourself, Take 10 looks of Christ before. Make that a rule. And can I say in light of our relationships here as a church, for every one look at each other, take 10 looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and ask that we would see others through Jesus. Christians, be assured. Be assured. We sang that song before the throne of God above. Folks, we are in the presence of God right now. I don't know if you believe that. I think sometimes I can turn up to church on a Sunday morning without actually thinking the reality of what's going on. Sometimes I can sit in the gospel community and not actually believe the reality of what's going on. God is not separate from us. He's here and he's blessing us. We are in the throne room of God. We are in the presence of God. Why? Why are we in the presence of God? Because Jesus is. Not because of something we've done, because Jesus is in the presence of God. There is a man a perfect man, a perfect human being who is physically risen and is in the Father's presence right now. And what's he doing? 
He's mediating for us. And he's interceding for us. He is speaking. He's speaking my name. He is pleading for me. He is speaking your name. He's presenting his righteousness. Pleading for you. You're in the throne room of heaven. And that is not based, folks. If you're sat here this morning, it is not based on your mood. It is not based on how mature you feel or don't feel. It is not based on whether or not you've messed up this morning, yesterday, or this week. It is not based upon how much or how little you doubt. It is not based on how much you are struggling. It is based purely on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means you are in the Father's presence. There is blessing to be found in our relationship that never goes away. And it is the life of God being poured in and to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of this truth, and in light of this assurance that I pray and I hope that you have, folks, I think we're to plead. I think we're to plead. I think we can take something from Moses here and from what we see in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what is clear from the Bible is that God also chooses to work through the prayers of his people. We see that. We see that here. So let's not dismiss that. Moses kept on pleading, didn't he? You're like, why, why is he saying it again? He kept on pleading to God. He kept, he went back, and then he went back. So folks, let's pray. Let's continue to pray. Let's return to prayer. Let's plead and plead and plead again. Pray for your family. Pray for God's people. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your friends. Pray for your families. Pray for those in sin. Pray for those in rebellion. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for those you've maybe had a fallout with. Pray for those you're in tension with. Pray and pray and pray and see what God does in his presence in transforming your heart. I um, got up this morning really early, obviously, to have a look at this. I went out last night, met some friends. It was a, it was a tough time. And one of my friends is having a really tough time at the moment. And he sobbed for about an hour and a half about a situation that, that he was in. And I was reading this and I was thinking on him. And I was just struggling with a little bit of how and what. And I literally was reading these words that I am speaking to you. And as I did, I, I noticed my phone had a message. So I opened the message up. And it was a voice note. And it was, um, it was a, a brother in Christ in the church. And he'd, he'd sent a, a two-minute prayer on a voice note. And so in that, in that pain, in that weirdness, I was able to hear a brother pray for me in the throne room of heaven and give me comfort and give me assurance. Folks, what I'm saying, you don't know the value and the meaning and the effects that your prayers have. Don't stop. Don't stop. Let's be a people who plead with our God. We pray, pray for ourselves, we pray for each other, and we keep on praying. And lastly, let me close before we move to, to communion on the wonderful truth of the gospel and some of the promises still to come. I hope this gives you hope. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared because, but we know that when he appears, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Isn't that incredible? Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much 
Father, you're such a good God. You are so patient and gracious and tender and compassionate and merciful to us, a people who reject you, who turn away from you. Father, we need your help. I thank you for this passage. It just shows what you do and how you make a way for your people, of how you walk this way, of how you move this way towards us. Father, I thank you that you have made a way for us, your people, to be with you, and it's all through your own son. You bore that. You took it for us. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray as we take this bread and this wine now that even reading this story of the Israelites, that you gave them feasts and festivals and Sabbaths to remember who they were, to remember what you've done, to remember and to invite them into knowing you. Father, I pray that as we take this bread and this wine now, as we, we hold it together, yes, on one level as individuals, but also not as individuals, as a family, as brothers and sisters united in your presence with our Father, that, that we would see and be reminded how good you are, how free we are, that our guilt is gone that our shame is being covered and that we can know you to fill our hearts with a joy, please, I ask, by your spirit. Fill our hearts with a burden and a love for each other to move one towards another, Father, and to plead. Amen. The bread and the wine is going to come around. Well, I would ask, if you're not a believer here today, the, the Bible says that this is for those who believe. So please, we ask that you'd let this pass. There'll be some words on the screen or you can sit quietly and just think through some of the things that, that, that I've said. If you want prayer, please, we would love to pray with you. But folks, can I just ask, as well as believers here today, let's not rush this. You know, we are seeing what God did in the book of Exodus. He gave his people a means and a way to grow in their faith. Don't let this be a bolt on. This is God's means and God's ways for us to grow as a people. So can I encourage you? Hold that bread and the wine just for a second. Don't take it too quick. Use the feel and the touch of it. This is incredible what we're being reminded of, that, that Jesus died for us, that you are free. In a little bit of time, the guys are going to sing a song. If you want to sing with them, sing with them. If you want to pray, you pray. But can I also encourage you as well as we hold this, this bread and this wine, can you also be aware of the people around you? It might be that there is someone on your heart that you want to move towards and pray this morning. Can I please encourage you to do that? That was a proper blessing for me this morning. If that is something you feel you need to do, please feel free, move, pray. Let's pray with each other. Let's sing with each other as we worship our God for what he has done. And let's continue to pray.